The shorter your sleep, the shorter your life. If we want to live a long, high quality life, sleep has to be on the very top of your list. Make it a non-negotiable in your life and I guarantee you won't regret it. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? Today is a little bit different because it's a solo episode. I don't do these episodes very often, but when I do, it's because I have something to talk about that I really care about. Today, that topic is sleep. Sleep is important to me because I didn't used to prioritize it. In high school, I was an overachieving student, and I remember staying up into the wee hours of the morning, studying for exams. I have these flashes of holding those big, disgusting, monster energy drinks in my hand while doing it. I would do anything to get the grade, and if that meant sacrificing sleep, pulling an all-nighter, then that's what I would do. That translated into pulling all-nighters all the time in university as well. And for a really long period of time, I drank copious amounts of caffeine. I'm talking like four coffees a day at least. I also used to take somewhere between one and three hour naps every single day because I felt like I couldn't get through my day without them. I would wake up and what I would do is I would tick through my schedule that day to think of, okay, when's the next time that I can get back into bed? I was convinced that I just wasn't a morning person because obviously mornings were really challenging to drag myself up out of bed. I was chronically tired and had very low energy, but I didn't really know it. I didn't really understand that it could be different until it was. In my last job, I started to learn a little bit about sleep, and based on what I learned, I started to prioritize it a little more, really for the first time in my life. I decided that I wasn't going to feel guilty for sleeping anymore, and that included both at night, so... If you listen to my Q&A episode with Eric, you know that one of our favorite things to do after dinner is to get everything cleaned up and then sit down to watch whatever show it is that we're watching together. And I used to feel really guilty about only watching one show or going to bed before he did, but I decided to stop feeling guilty for that and being okay with prioritizing my sleep. I also decided to stop being guilty for sleeping in later than 6 a.m. in the morning. I think at the gym, part of the culture is that you're up really early every morning. It's part of the grind. That's kind of glorified. If you got to sleep in until 7 or 8 a.m., whoa, big sleep in day. And I just stopped subscribing to that. Once I actually prioritized my sleep, everything in my life got dramatically better. My mental clarity was so much sharper. I had the ability to learn new information better. I was more perceptive of my surroundings. My mood was dramatically better. I also had more of an ability to be outgoing and lead a room, which in my job as a trainer is really important. And that definitely takes some level of energy, but I didn't realize that by sleeping more, I'd actually be able to hold that presence and that space in a room even more successfully. Cravings for certain foods also went down. My hunger was all of a sudden regulated better. 
And perhaps most importantly, I didn't need those really long naps every single afternoon. Imagine how much more productive my days got when I didn't have to sacrifice that long chunk of time in the middle of my day for a nap. What I've learned is that sleep is actually my number one priority. Yes, it comes before training and it becomes before nutrition. Sleep is the foundation of your life. It's the foundation for performance. It's the foundation for feeling fulfilled in your life. Like if you're not sleeping, I guarantee that your quality of life is not as good as it could be. I spent the last couple of years really diving into the science of sleep, which is why I'm really excited to share it with you today. Sleep is more important than I ever realized before, and I don't think enough of us know it. So I'm excited to share everything that I've learned with you guys on this episode. One thing that I really encourage everyone to do is to keep a sleep journal for a week. What this does is it starts to bring awareness into your current sleep patterns and what's going on because I think for a lot of us, it's something that we don't really think that much about. I've been filling out a sleep journal consistently for the last couple of months. And every single day, I journal what time I woke up, whether I woke up with an alarm or not, whether I hit snooze or not. I write down my hours of sleep opportunity And the reason that I call it sleep opportunity is because that window of time that I've been in bed, let's say I went to bed at 10 p.m. and woke up at 6 a.m., that eight hours, yes, I gave myself the opportunity to sleep that much, but I likely didn't actually sleep for eight hours. It takes a little bit of time to fall asleep. We actually wake up at certain points when we come in and out of our sleep cycles throughout the night, like as we start over into a new sleep cycle, our body will naturally wake us up for a little bit. And we may or may not remember that, but it does happen. And then there's always restless time during the night. So hours of sleep opportunity, it doesn't necessarily mean that I slept for that long. Then I rate my sleep quality on a scale of one to four. And I also note my morning mood. This is my mood within the first hour or two of me waking up. Because your morning mood when you first get up is a really good indicator of whether you've slept enough or not or whether you're getting up at a good time for your body or not. I also rate my mental clarity on a scale of one to four, and this is a similar concept to mood. How alert do you feel when you wake up? If you're not alert and you have a lot of sleep inertia and it's really hard for you to get through those first couple hours of your day, you might not be sleeping enough. There might be something going on. I also track my caffeine intake and the time of my caffeine intake, which I used to drink a lot of caffeine, but lately nowadays it's really just one cup and I drink that cup somewhere between two and three hours after I wake up in the morning. I also track my exercise on my sleep journal, so I note what kind of physical activity that I did that day. I track any supplements and pills that relate to my sleep. So sometimes I take magnesium or melatonin to help me fall asleep, to calm me down. Those are the things that I'm tracking there. I track whether I drank alcohol or not that evening, and I might write down how many beverages I had if it was multiple. I write down what time I took my last bite of food, Because as we're going to talk about, what time you're eating has a lot to do with how healthy your circadian rhythm is. I also track my activity before bed. So was I doing something like scrolling on Instagram or was I reading by candlelight? 
And then finally, I write down my bedtime. So what time I actually went lights out, I'm horizontal trying to go to sleep. And then I write down my perceived latency, which is how long I feel like it took me to fall asleep. And that's just an indicator of how hard or easy it was for me to fall asleep that night. I highly recommend doing this if sleep is something that you haven't dialed into in the past. Just keeping a sleep journal and starting to make yourself aware of some of these things, first of all, can help you realize areas that you can actually improve on so that you can improve your sleep. You might realize how much you're actually sleeping when previously you didn't know. But it also just helps you be more mindful in general about the habits that you're creating around sleep. Because like I've said, sleep is the most important thing that you can do for yourself. So giving yourself the opportunity to start dialing in and be mindful about this stuff is really an amazing gift that you can give yourself. Once you've kept this sleep journal for one week, I encourage you to look back and calculate your average sleep opportunity over the week. So again, realizing that opportunity, you won't have actually slept this much, but in general, how much time are you giving yourself to sleep over the course of the week? And then I also want you to tally how many days you gave yourself eight hours of sleep opportunity or more. And as we move on, you're gonna understand why those two things are really important. Before we launch into talking about how much sleep you should be getting, let's just talk briefly about alarms. Our bodies are not meant to wake up with an alarm. Our bodies are meant to wake up as the sun rises. We're supposed to gently come out of sleep when we're not in a deep phase of sleep. And it's supposed to be this very peaceful, nice process as we start the day. However, the vast majority of us need to wake up for work at a certain time, and so we start our day with an alarm clock. We might be in a deep phase of sleep, and if you're trying to wake yourself up when you're in one of those deeper phases, you're gonna experience what we call sleep inertia, which is your body's natural sleep drive, and you're gonna be really groggy and tired for the first hour or two of your day if you're trying to jolt yourself out of a deep sleep. Alarm clocks are also really hard on your heart. So when that sound goes off, your blood pressure immediately spikes and cortisol levels immediately go up. To have this assault happen on your heart every single morning can really take a toll on the health of your heart. In addition, for those of us that are chronic snoozers and we're pressing snooze multiple times a morning, we're causing this trauma on our heart multiple times in a morning. If you are a snoozer, I highly recommend that you get rid of that habit as soon as you can. In that nine minutes that you're snoozing and it feels like you're getting more sleep, you're not actually doing anything that's useful to your body. You're not getting any meaningful sleep. You're really just prolonging the process of getting up and making your morning more rushed and less productive. So when you think about how it's really hard on your heart to have that blaring sound going off multiple times a morning, and then you're also not actually getting any benefit from it, you can see why you really don't wanna be hitting snooze. If you have that much trouble getting yourself up out of bed every morning that you're hitting snooze a bunch of times, you're probably either not getting enough sleep, your circadian rhythm is way out of whack, or you're trying to get up at a time every morning that is not in line with your natural chrono rhythm. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. So how much sleep do you really need? Here's the million dollar question. 
yes, everybody is genetically different. So everyone's sleep need will be a little bit different. It is individual. But two questions that you can ask yourself to help you start to dial in on whether you are getting enough sleep for your body or not or not. First, if given the opportunity, would you be able to fall asleep at 10 or 11 a.m.? Guys, based on our circadian rhythms, 10 or 11 a.m. should be a very alert time for you. If it's not, that's definitely cause for you to think about the health of your circadian rhythms and to start to question whether you're getting enough sleep. Like You should not be able to take a nap at 10 or 11 a.m. The other question I want you to ask yourself is, could I function normally without coffee until 12 p.m.? If I had to, would I feel normal? until 12 p.m. without coffee? If your answer is no, again, that's cause for you to think about maybe you're not getting enough sleep. And I just want to add here that these two things 100% used to be me. I used to be able to fall asleep at any time. And if I didn't have my coffee at the gym at 6 a.m., I would panic because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get through those hours of training. Like I said, yes, sleep need is individual. But the vast majority of people, the vast majority need eight hours of sleep. So if you're not consistently getting eight hours, it's definitely something to think about. Can you make some shifts to your schedule? Now, we all know those people in our lives that swear that they can get by just fine on five or six hours. They function normally. They don't feel any difference. There is a very rare gene that allows some people to function normally on five hours of sleep. However, and this is from Dr. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, the number of people who can survive on five hours of sleep without any cognitive impairments, and this is expressed as a percent and then rounded to a whole number, is zero. It's more likely that you'll be struck by lightning than you have the gene that allows you to function on five hours of sleep. So why are so many people running around claiming that they can actually function on such little sleep? The reason is that our brains are very bad at assessing whether or not we got enough sleep. And there are many, many studies that show that people do not actually perceive their cognitive impairments very well. It's actually what makes this whole thing kind of scary and dangerous. Let me give you a little example. Have you ever been out at a bar or been out with a friend at a bar and All of a sudden, even though you've been drinking all night, you kind of say to yourself, huh, I feel like I'd be able to drive home. Like, I feel like I'm good. I don't feel very drunk when you're definitely over the legal blood alcohol limit. That's because your brain is really good at finding a new baseline. Your brain is really good at getting used to those cognitive impairments so that you're not aware of them anymore. The same thing happens with sleep. If you're chronically undersleeping, your brain will get used to the shorter attention, worse mood, different appetite, and certain level of energy that you have, and you won't even realize that it could be any different. It's both an amazing adaptation of our brains and an unfortunate one because it doesn't really give us any indication that we need to be changing something until we do change something and we feel a thousand times better. So how much does one hour of sleep really matter? Like what's the real difference between seven and eight hours of sleep? I think that a lot of us think if we got seven hours of sleep in a night that we did well and that's a full night's sleep. Or maybe we'll get one or two hours less and we think to ourselves, 
uh, I'll just make it up tomorrow. I'll make up for it this weekend. There is one day of the year where internationally people get one hour less of sleep. And that happens during daylight savings. In the spring, the clocks spring forward and we all lose one hour of sleep. In that day, immediately following daylight savings, rates of heart attacks increase by 24%. Findings are also similar for things like car accidents and suicide rates. In that day after, there are statistics that show that that one hour less of sleep has massive effects across the population. You also can't just make up for that lost sleep over the weekend. There's no such thing as repaying your sleep debt. And there are a couple of reasons why. First of all, let's imagine that you slept for six hours per night every night this week. If you did that Sunday to Thursday every work night, that's 10 hours of sleep that you would need to make up for on the weekend if we were thinking of eight hours as a full night of sleep. For most of us, our body won't actually let us sleep more than 10, 11, maybe 12 hours. So you can't actually make up for that time. In addition, you've already lost a lot of learning opportunity from losing that sleep over the week. Studies show that a lot of memory and learning consolidation happened the very first night after learning. And you can't make up for it on the second night after, the third night after. If you've lost that sleep on the first night after, you've lost that ability to learn. In addition, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the sleep phases in a bit, but a recovery night where you're making up for lost sleep actually looks different when you look at the sleep phases than a normal night of sleep. So a recovery night is not the same as a normal night. Day to day, why should you sleep? I'm gonna give you five big reasons why you should. The first one is concentration. Your concentration is gonna be the first thing to go if you've underslept. That's the ability to focus on the same task without looking at your phone, for example. And this decreases with just one night of seven hours of sleep. You probably won't consciously perceive it, but it happens. It makes your workday less productive. As far as concentration is concerned, here's a fun stat. If you're up for 19 hours, that is the same cognitive impairment as if you were legally drunk. So if we think about a Friday, let's say that you woke up at 7 a.m. to go to work. By the time you're out at the bar at 2 a.m., you've been up for 19 hours. Even if you don't touch a drink, you have the same cognitive impairment as if you were drunk. Pretty crazy. The second reason day-to-day why you should sleep is to improve your mood. Your emotional regulation changes dramatically when you haven't slept enough you're way more likely to have mood swings. So really high highs, really low lows that next day. There was a study done where they had two groups. One was well slept and one was underslept. When they showed these people photos that were meant to be very neutral, the people that were underslept were 60% more likely to perceive that picture as negative. So you move through the world with a negative bias when you haven't slept enough. Sleep is also huge in mental health. It's been shown to be a factor in every single major mental health disorder. 
There was also a study done on charisma where people were asked to rate certain business executives as whether they were charismatic or not. And this study showed that when those business executives had slept eight hours the night before, people were way more likely to rate them as being charismatic. So sleep has a huge effect on your presence in a room. The third reason day-to-day why you should sleep is because you want to avoid this thing called micro-sleeps. Micro-sleeps are a phenomenon where the brain completely shuts off for a brief moment. It's engaging in this little mini-sleep, and you may or may not notice them. Micro-sleeps start to occur with seven hours of sleep or less on a routine basis. They had a study where they had people who hadn't slept eight hours the night before, and they were meant to respond to a light that they saw. When people were sleep deprived, it wasn't that their responses were slower, it's that there were entirely missed responses because their brain was going unconscious into these micro sleeps, and so they just wouldn't respond to the task at hand. You can imagine the implications of micro sleeps if you're driving, they can be deadly. Here's another crazy stat. If you go 10 days getting seven hours of sleep per night, that's what most of us think of as a pretty good night of sleep. But if you go 10 days with seven hours of sleep, that is the same as getting no sleep for 24 hours straight based on the cognitive impairments that you will see. Another reason why you want to get sleep is for learning and memory. You need to be well slept before so you can actually receive and intake that information. And then you need to be well slept after so that you can actually save that information and consolidate those memories. This applies to both skills that you learn, physical skills and fact recall. Also, I love this one. Sleep affects your attractiveness. They did a study where people looked at photographs of the same people when they had slept eight hours versus were sleep deprived. And the people that had slept eight hours were rated as more attractive. And think about it, guys. It's free. We all spend so much money on products and facials and procedures and all of this stuff to make us more attractive. But we have a tool that's completely free that can actually make us more attractive. Why not use it? Let's move on and talk a little bit about your circadian rhythm. There are 24-hour cycle that controls things like our sleep-wake patterns, body temperature fluctuations, energy levels, mental alertness throughout the day, our physical ability at different points of the day, our digestion throughout the day, all of our hormone levels. All of these processes that happen in our body are controlled on a rhythm. They're not all meant to happen at the same time. These different things are meant to switch on and off at different times throughout the day for them to work optimally. All of your organ systems work optimally when your circadian rhythm is strong and you're on a regular circadian rhythm. The part of your brain that controls your rhythm is called your suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in your brain. And that's kind of your brain's time clock and timekeeper. The biggest factors that affect your circadian rhythm, the first one is light. Light is the biggest one. At what point are your eyes receiving light during the day? Another one is food and digestion. So at what times are you eating? Another one is movement. At what times are you engaging in movement and at what intensities? 
So everybody's circadian rhythm is a little bit different. And I just finished the book called The Power of When by Dr. Michael Bruce. And it talks about this, about how there are different chronotypes and they have different natural circadian rhythms. But I'm just gonna go over sort of an average one to give you an idea. Melatonin is the hormone that your body naturally releases to make you sleepy. So in the morning when you wake up, Around 6 a.m., melatonin release stops to naturally wake up your body. You want to start your day by getting some sunlight. That's going to help wake you up and help increase your mental alertness. For most people, on average, their highest mental alertness will happen in the late morning. Then physical things like best coordination, fastest reaction time will happen in the afternoon. Then around 6 p.m., you wanna start dimming lights in your house because your body will naturally, if you're not getting too much light, will naturally start to release melatonin and you'll fall asleep around 10 p.m. And then you'll enter into the different phases of sleep, which we're gonna talk about in a little bit. The most important thing that you can do to have a healthy circadian rhythm is get on a consistent sleep schedule. Consistency is key. And yes, weekends do count too. I think a lot of us think of weekends as just like free for all days, but when you're going to bed and waking up at drastically different times over the weekend, that starts to have an effect on your circadian rhythm and it makes a big difference in your quality of sleep that you're getting. We don't all have the same circadian rhythm. There are different categories of people, we call these chronotypes, that indicate what that individual's circadian rhythm will look like throughout the day. In The Power of When, Dr. Boris talks about four different chronotypes, and he labels them as dolphins, bears, lions, and wolves. There's a quiz online where you can go and you can take a quiz to determine what your chronotype is. It's really fascinating and can give you a lot of insight into when the best times of day are for you to be doing certain things based on your chronotype. For now, I'm gonna kinda keep it simple and just talk about early birds, night owls, and the people that are kind of in the middle called hybrids that can kind of swing either way based on the schedule that they're on. About 40% of us are genetically programmed to be early birds. These are the people that naturally wake up early and feel very alert in the morning. Some of us are naturally night owls. They'll stay up later and they feel most alert in the afternoon or evening. Some, these are the people that feel like they can get really good work done at night. And this is about 30% of the population. The remaining 30% can be called hybrids. And I think this one is me. If you're interested in finding out what chronotype you are, I'll put a link for that quiz in the show notes for you guys. One interesting thing to think about in our society, in general, the schedules of jobs and schools can be very challenging for night owls who don't actually reach peak levels of alertness until the afternoon. They're being forced to wake up early for these early start times, but their body isn't letting them go to sleep at an hour that allows them to get eight hours of sleep over the course of the night. So they're chronically tired, they chronically have lower levels of energy. And health outcomes for night owls across the board are worse for this exact reason. This thing called sleep pressure also affects our sleepiness and wakefulness levels. The longer you are awake, the more of a hormone called adenosine builds up in the brain. So just sheer number of hours that you've been awake can also affect how sleepy you are. 
Let's chat caffeine. How much caffeine do you drink in a day? The way that caffeine works is it acts on adenosine receptors in the brain to block their activity. So you don't sense the sleep pressure that's building up in your brain and it makes you nice and alert. You want to be very careful with caffeine. Your genetics affect your liver enzymes that metabolize caffeine. So everyone metabolizes caffeine at a slightly different rate. However, the average half-life of coffee in the body is five to seven hours. So it takes five to seven hours for your body to process through half of the caffeine that you've taken in. I think a lot of us convince ourselves that caffeine doesn't actually affect our sleep, when in reality, we might not notice that it's having an effect on our sleep quality. So I would recommend, most experts recommend that you really try to stay away from caffeine past 2 p.m. if you don't want it to affect your sleep. Alcohol also has a huge effect on your sleep, which is why I have it on my sleep journal. How much alcohol do you drink in a week? And the alcohol that you drink right before bed has an especially huge effect on your sleep. Alcohol is a sedative, so it suppresses brain activity. And we need to be thinking about sleep as a very active brain state. There's actually so much going on throughout these different phases of sleep in our brain. So this sedative does not induce natural sleep. It actually limits your ability to successfully enter sleep phases. Alcohol also fragments your sleep way more. So you wake up throughout the night, often again without realizing it. You won't even remember that it happened, but it did. And it means that you haven't gotten as much sleep when you wake up the next morning. Specifically, I want you guys to remember this, alcohol specifically suppresses REM sleep, which we're gonna talk about why REM sleep is so important and so special soon. Jet lag. So for those of us that travel a lot, we understand what jet lag is. Jet lag happens because our current circadian rhythm doesn't match up with the light and dark cycles in the place that we've traveled to. So for example, let's say you travel to the West Coast, out to BC. You land there at what would be 8 p.m. here, but it's 5 p.m. there. So your circadian rhythm wants to wind down and sleep, but it's still gonna be light out for another couple of hours there. In general, it takes one day for your body to reset per time zone that you've traveled. And that can vary from chronotype to chronotype, but that's your average. So if you've traveled three time zones and you're only gonna be in that place for a short weekend, it's actually better not to try to adjust your sleep schedule, your circadian rhythm to that new location. Just stay on your normal schedule based on the time back at home and that will be the easiest thing for your body to do. If you're gonna be there for a longer stay, so you're going out to the West Coast for a full week, then you wanna try and get your circadian rhythm onto local time as fast as possible. So in the example that I just gave, your best idea would be to try to stay awake until a normal hour in BC to help your suprachiasmatic nucleus reset. Just a little fun fact, it is easier to travel from east to west versus the other way around because when you travel from east to west, the way that you reset your time is just by staying awake a couple of extra hours, which in general is an easier thing for you to do than trying to force yourself to go to sleep earlier than your body wants to. All right, let's talk about the different stages of sleep because sleep during the course of a night is not all the same. There are many stages that we enter. There are two main categories. The first is called NREM sleep or non-REM sleep. This is your deep sleep. 
your slow wave sleep. It's broken up into stages one to four. This sleep is concentrated more towards the beginning of the night. During NREM sleep, information is moved from short-term working memory and consolidated into long-term storage. This is also where quote-unquote cleanup happens, so unneeded information and synapses from your day are removed. Things that your brain would forget during this stage of sleep are, for example, where you parked your car in a parking lot that day. You don't need to consolidate that memory, so your brain would clean that out. Your brain waves during this stage of sleep are slow and synchronized. This is also the most restorative stage of sleep for your body. So if you're trying to recover from a workout, this is where that would happen. The next big stage of sleep that you have is REM sleep. This is lighter sleep. It's called REM sleep because scientists have observed rapid eye movements that occur during this stage of sleep. It's lighter sleep, so there's a lot more brain activity that happens in this stage, and in general, it's concentrated towards the end of the night. REM sleep is dream sleep. This is the most exciting phase of sleep, in my opinion, because this is where we take information and based on our entire history of memories and learned experiences, this is where our brains make new inferences and learn about the world. We kind of take in what's happened that day and the experiences that we've had and we integrate it into our larger worldview, into our larger sense of who we are and what makes us us. This is where emotional processing and regulation happens. Sleep is therapy. It is a real thing that you can go to bed angry and upset at someone and then wake up feeling way better about the situation and those emotions having calmed down so much because you've actually done emotional processing in your sleep. This is also where we problem solve. If anyone's ever told you to sleep on a problem, they were onto something. We literally solve problems in our sleep. People can go to bed not knowing the solution and wake up knowing the solution. We're literally getting better as we sleep. It's so cool. This is also the stage of sleep that's attributed to creativity. In this stage, the brainwaves are fast and desynchronized, so a little bit more like our brainwaves would look when we're awake. Some scientists believe that REM sleep is the thing that makes humans the superior species on Earth. It makes up about 25% of our night, as opposed to, on average, about 9% across all other species. So there's so much higher processing and understanding of the world and emotion processing and creativity that happens during this stage of sleep, and scientists believe that that's why humans are so special. Over the course of your night, NREM sleep is going to be concentrated more towards the beginning of the night and REM sleep is concentrated more towards the end of the night. And this is based on your circadian rhythm. In general, I found this so fascinating when I learned it. In general, an hour of sleep at 10 p.m. is actually not the same as an hour of sleep at 5 a.m. And the craziest part is that let's say you went to bed really late one night. So let's say you went to bed at 2 a.m. Instead of starting by launching in into that MREM sleep, your brain will actually skip some of that NREM sleep and just jump right to normal higher concentrations of REM sleep that it would get from 2 to 7 a.m. 
On the reverse end, if you were to wake up really early, your brain would be missing out on that ever important REM sleep. So the timing of when you go to bed really does matter. And this is why we wanna get on a consistent schedule of getting lots of good NREM sleep at the beginning of the night and then lots of REM sleep at the end of the night. Both are so important. Let's talk about naps. Naps are amazing, but they don't make up for not sleeping enough at night. And that's how I used to try to use them. However, they can be a really great addition to an already awesome nighttime routine. There are lots of studies that show the benefits of a shorter nap. Short meaning anywhere from maybe 15 to 30 minutes. You don't really want this to be an hour long nap. You want it to be a quick nap and there are lots of studies that show the benefits for learning, memory, problem solving, and also for athletic performance. Usain Bolt has been known to take quick naps before setting world records. So you're in good company if you're taking these quick naps. All right, let's talk about your health. Sleep has massive implications for your long-term health. If you get six hours of sleep a night on a regular basis, you are 400 to 500% more likely to suffer cardiac arrest at some point in your life. That is insane. On a more short-term basis, even one to two hours less of sleep will increase your heart rate and blood pressure the next day, which takes a toll on your heart. I used to notice this when I tracked my sleep with a Fitbit. I would notice that on the nights when I didn't sleep enough, I would wake up and my resting heart rate would be a couple of beats higher throughout that day. Sleep also has implications for cancer. If you sleep four hours for even just one night, there will be 70% less quote unquote killer cells in your body. Killer cells are those cells that prevent your body from forming tumors. 70% less after one night of four hours of sleep. Overall, chronically sleeping for six hours means you will be 40% more likely to develop cancer at some point in your life. That is huge. Sleep has also been causally linked to Alzheimer's and dementia, so it's not just correlated. Poor sleep throughout a lifetime is a cause of Alzheimer's. In addition, sleep has a huge effect on your appetite and therefore on your body composition because it affects hunger and cravings. There have been studies done with participants that sleep four to five hours over a week and they show higher levels of ghrelin, which is the hormone that controls hunger, and lower levels of leptin, which is the hormone that makes you feel full. So overall, you have more hunger and less fullness and satisfaction just because you didn't sleep enough. Those participants in the study that were underslept, on average, ate 300 to 500 calories more each day than people who were well slept. Over a year, that would translate to about 15 pounds of weight gain just from not sleeping enough. Sleep also affects your body's ability to regulate your blood sugar. So it has also been closely linked to developing diabetes. Athletic performance, this is one of my favorite ones. There have been over 750 studies showing that less than eight hours of sleep affects your athletic performance. So for those of us that really care about our workouts in the gym, it only takes one night of not sleeping enough 
for time to physical exhaustion to drop so we get tired faster, for aerobic output to be reduced, to see decreases in peak and sustained muscle strength. You'll also get more lactic acid building up in your muscles, which means that you'll feel more sore the next day. Maybe the most important is that your chance of injury increases dramatically when you haven't slept enough, even for one night. Overall, guys, the verdict is out. It has been shown time and time again in countless different ways, in countless studies. We know this. The shorter your sleep, the shorter your life. We need to stop Letting sleep be the thing that falls away when life gets busy, when we feel like we have a thousand other obligations and sleep comes last. If we want to live a long, high-quality life, sleep has to be on the very top of your list. Make it a non-negotiable in your life, and I guarantee you won't regret it. You don't even know how much better you could feel, so I really encourage you to try it. Get at least eight hours of sleep every night for the next week and you can get back to me let me know what changed let's quickly just run through how you can improve your sleep you can find this information in tons of places on the internet so i am going to speed through it pretty quick but like i said the number one most important thing you can do is get on a consistent schedule i would aim for all bedtimes and wake times throughout your week to be within an hour of each other It really does make a big difference for your sleep quality and ensuring that you're getting enough of each of those phases of sleep. Also, the blue light that comes from our screens and devices, that halts the release of melatonin. There was a study done where participants got on iPads before they went to sleep, and it was shown that staring at those screens before bed suppressed their melatonin secretion by over 50%. For that reason, it increased their sleep latency and their circadian rhythm was wound back by as much as two to three hours. Those people that were on screens also got less REM sleep throughout their night. So reducing screens and that couple hours before bed is a huge and important thing that you can do for your sleep. Establishing some kind of bedtime routine to signal your body that you're winding down for sleep is also a great idea. I also highly recommend avoiding eating in the two to three hours before bedtime. Based on our circadian rhythms, our body is not meant to digest when we're winding down for sleep. That should be happening when the sun is up in the middle of our day. So if your schedule allows, trying to adjust things so that you're eating dinner a little bit earlier, giving your body time to digest before you're trying to get to sleep. I have to add a caveat in on this because Undereating is a massive problem that I see all the time in the gym and with my clients. Like so many people are undereating. So don't let this be a reason for you to just skip dinner altogether. I'm saying that if your schedule allows and you're able to prepare, then tr- trying to shift the last meal of your day a little bit earlier is a great idea. Don't let it be the reason that you skip dinner though. Sleeping in a cool, dark room is also very important for sleep quality. The ideal temperature in your room is cooler than a lot of us might think. It's actually 65 degrees Fahrenheit or 18 degrees Celsius. And the reason it's so low is your body temperature is naturally meant to drop as you enter sleep. And so that just facilitates that transition into sleep a little bit easier. Increasing your activity levels can also lead to deeper sleep. I notice that on the days that I'm really physically active, I sleep so well that night. 
Reducing your stress is also huge. We all know that feeling when we're sitting there laying at night and we just can't turn our brains off because we're so stressed. So having that nighttime routine where you're winding down, maybe you do some journaling at night to get things off your mind, do a little bit of meditation, do an evening meditation, that can really help as well. And then I challenge everyone to take a look at their caffeine intake because it may actually be affecting you more than you realize. Okay guys, that's all the information that I have to share with you about sleep today. I hope everyone learned a lot. I hope that this encourages you to prioritize sleep more in your own life. It is a free way to help you live longer, enhance your memory, make you more creative, make you more attractive, maintain a healthy body composition, lower your food cravings, protect you from huge things like cancer and dementia, ward off colds and the flu. We didn't talk about how sleep improves your immune system, but it has a big effect on it. Lower your risk for heart attack, stroke, and diabetes, make you happier and make you less anxious. All good things and it's absolutely free. If you guys have more questions on sleep, please shoot them my way. I'm still reading books, continuing to learn about sleep. So if you have a question, I would love to dive into the research and help you get it answered. That's all I have for you. I hope that everyone has an amazing week this week, a well-slept, well-rested week this week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.